Hello, my name is Adam Eason. Welcome to episode 59 of Hypnosis Weekly. Hypnosis friends and a very warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Once again, in my own highly biased opinion, I think I have a magnificent show lined up for you today. In a short while, I'll be sharing with you an interview with my guest, Caroline Dyson. Then I'll be looking at the hypnosis in the news stories, examining the media where hypnosis is featured. I'm going to offer up some personal subjective commentary on the ways hypnosis gets portrayed in the media and comment on some of the content of those media stories. We then return with our professional discussion with my guest, Caroline Dyson. We'll be talking about her successful hypnotherapy in schools program that has been sweeping its way through local education authorities here in the UK. And I genuinely cannot wait to share with you that part of today's show. There's some stuff in there that if you love this field of ours, this field of hypnotherapy, it's going to make you smile big time. In fact, I challenge you not to smile when I do in that part of today's show. We'll round things off uh, with this week's hypnosis evidence-based factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. As I say at the beginning of every Hypnosis Weekly episode, this podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. I do not share the same stance as most of our guests and at times have major differences in approach and leaning, but all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub and all of whom, following their time here on Hypnosis Weekly, I have a great deal of respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback, do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions along with the related links are posted at each episode on the website www.hypnosis.com hypnosis-weekly.com. That's just hypnosisweekly with a hyphen in the middle dot com. You can add your thoughts, comments and make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. If you enjoy this podcast, then please do go and give us a favourable rating and even a review at iTunes. I'll be your BFF if you do. So first of all today is this week's interview. I met this week's guest, Caroline Dyson, in real life a couple of weeks ago at the UK Hypnosis Convention. And she got rave reviews from those attending her presentation, which was the opening presentation of the entire weekend. I was aware of her work uh, long before meeting her in real life. But after my own lecture, I went and accosted Caroline and using my best influence and persuasion technique, managed to get her to agree to come on the show. For those of you wanting to know the details of that technique, it was pretty highbrow, sophisticated stuff and comprised of me saying something along the lines of go on, go on, go on, go on, ad nauseum. She is someone I find very easy to like and is someone who is shining a bright light for all of us in the hypnotherapy world. So for now, get comfy, my friends, turn up the volume, sip on your tea, enjoy this week's interview. (music) 
So as I've just been discussing, I am delighted to welcome the one and only Caroline Dyson to Hypnosis Weekly. Welcome, Caroline. Thank you very much for having me. I love that introduction. That's great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's, let, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, 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 how did you get into this field? Tell us a little bit about your background and how you've arrived at where you are now. Okay, uh, I've got psychology degree background uh, and then went into cool. teaching. Um, but through my teaching, I always was more interested than the academic side than actually the psychology of teaching and behavior and learning and all that sort of side of things. Mm. Um, so fast moved out of mainstream and went into a special school setting where I worked in a unit where children all had statements as they were then um, for social, emotional, behavioral difficulties. Um, and while I was in there, um, at the same sort of time as I was teaching in there, I actually had some hypnotherapy for my own fear of flying. Yeah. Um, so I did the certificate course in um, clinical hypnotherapy. To be quite honest, after the certificate course, wasn't really sure whether I thought this was any good or not, if mm -hmm. I'm honest. So I thought the best way to really find out is to experience it myself. So I had some sessions for fear of flying and it worked absolutely brilliantly. And while I was on holiday, I decided that was it. I needed to go on to the, the diploma and the next part of it. And I really wanted to, to get into this field. Great. Um, so trained and feel like I can use that empathy because I have been there and I have been not sure if it works and actually seeing how fantastically it does work. Yeah. Um, and then carried on doing the teaching, uh, moved into more specialist work with sort of emotional mental health issues uh, whilst doing my private hypnotherapy practice at the same time um, and then merged the two uh, into hypnotherapy in schools. But, I, you know, we're going to talk about that in a bit, yeah. I gather. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm really excited about about asking you about that. Um, I'm, I'm quite desperate to get there. But I, I don't want to wish away our uh, the, the rest of this very important questions that I have to ask you. So um, um, t tell us a little bit about where you're at as far as hypnosis is concerned then. Um, um, how do you define hypnosis or, or how did you arrive at any kind of understanding or definition that you currently work to? Um, and, and how do you explain hypnosis perhaps to, to your clients and, and people that ask you about it? Um, I well, funny enough, I used to define it as an altered state of awareness, yeah. a bit like a daydream. But yeah. interestingly, a couple of weekends ago, which is where we met at the um, hypnosis convention, yeah. there was a lot of discussion about is it actually altered and what is that trance state? And it was really interesting, all that making me think maybe I'll redefine that definition of a focused state of awareness rather than altered which implies yeah. it's something a little bit different so that recently that's actually got me thinking about that but um more like a daydream because i work predominantly with children i need to sort of differentiate the language in how i explain it so it tends to be much more normalizing it which i do with adults anyway but with children even more so that this is a natural state and what we're trying to do is harness a natural state that you go into all the time in lots of different scenarios like if you're driving a car somewhere or engrossed in a playstation game or whatever it is and actually we harness that natural state but we make sure we have it in a clinical setting and we use that state to help you make changes yeah. so daydream is probably the, the way i tend to describe it most but that's because i work more often with children of course of course yeah i absolutely i absolutely get that um um and and it always makes me very very happy 
to speak to any hypnotherapy um, professional, especially somebody um, who's, who's doing so much great work in the field as you are, still open to, to, to learning more and being prepared, you know, if, if new information comes our way to, to, to let it supersede and, and, and yield rather than sort of dogmatically entrench ourselves in, in former beliefs. It's really, it's really lovely to hear that. Tell, tell me a little bit about, um, about your own influences, some of the major influences upon you within this field, perhaps some of the books or authors that have taught you most or teachers that have been most influential upon you and, and perhaps a little bit about the, some of the reasons why. Um, anyone and everyone, to be quite honest, I, I do feel I'm quite open to hearing anyone's perspective on it. That was, again, what was great about the, the convention. Yeah. Um, any idea, and even if you end up thinking, do you know what, I disagree with that, it solidified what you think or made you question what you think. So you either change your views or you actually solidify what you already think. But yeah. so in that sense, anybody really I find interesting. I think you can learn from, you know, even non-professionally trained people. I learn things from my clients, the way they will explain things. I'll sometimes yeah, use back with another client. Um yeah. But particularly people like Margot Sunderland, um, who's a, an incredibly phenomenal lady who works a lot with child psychotherapy and has done a lot of work around the neuroscience of um, behavior and emotion and what really goes on in the brain and how knowing that we can help people make changes and prevent certain issues occurring in theory. Yeah, um yeah. David Eagleman, again, lots of neuroscience seems to have come my way in the past few years, really. And again, going back to the convention, there was lots of that coming into hypnotherapy, which I think is really good that as a hypnotherapist, I think we all know it works. But actually, if we can explain why we can show other people that it works, it's not just a biased perspective. Actually, there is something really good going on here and it does work at a neurological level. Yeah. Um, People like Carol Dweck, um, if you've heard about her and her yeah. growth mindset approach, yeah. is really interesting in terms of making changes. Um, lots of solution-focused thinking underpins an awful lot of what I do. Um, so I kind of have a philosophy of working with the simplest approach first, and then if that doesn't work, I dig a bit deeper and a bit deeper, rather than like some of the people who might start from childhood up, I tend to work with actually, if we can solve this issue in one or two sessions, why, why do we need to go any further? Yeah. Um, sometimes we do, but that's my sort of philosophy and it, and it's quite solution focused and depends a lot of what I do. Um, yeah. and I suppose finally Linda Hudson, who's a, a great child hypnotherapist practitioner, whose yeah. books are fantastic. Um, you know, I use lots of her scripts and, um, you know, she's an, another brilliant practitioner who I definitely recommend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Former guest on the show. Um, I'm really lovely lady. Um, she is. I'm, I'm very good at what she does. And yeah, yeah very yeah, good. Yeah. And so within within your experience then um, um, and, and within um, 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 what you've been doing, um, over the years, what has been what's been one of the most impressive applications of hypnosis that you've directly witnessed, Caroline? Um, what a change that I've induced in somebody? Yeah, yeah, or, or just just any application of hypnosis, whether it's um something that you've encountered yourself, whether something that you've done with with a client, or something you've been in a room, um, and seen some some impressive application of hypnosis um across the board, anything that you've uh, that you've directly witnessed. Um, 
I think really there's nothing more impressive than experiencing it yourself. Yeah. Um, witnessing it is great, but the the very analytical part of me always unpicks it. Is it actually somebody going along with it? Is it what it seems? So actually when you experience it yourself, you really do understand I'm not going along with it. There is a change there. Yeah. So, the, you know, the self, the way I've experienced it, both with overcoming a fear of flying, I had it for... Uh, the birth of both my children um, and with great results. So I think those have stood out um, both for helping with my clients because I can say, do you know what, I've been there and I know this genuinely works. But also I I just notice how things really are different. I'm not persuading myself I'm not frightened of flying. Something has definitely changed up there because it it happens automatically. Um, So those have to stand out. But I guess um, a few children I've worked with who've had, you know, very noticeable, profound differences. So uh, a girl I work with in um, year 10 and 11 in a secondary school whose anxiety around exams was so extreme. She failed exams because she was having panic attacks and she was having to leave the exam, which obviously is an automatic failure. Um, Had sessions of hypnotherapy and then was able to sit through all her exams and gained A stars pretty much across the board. Um, Now, obviously, the hypnotherapy is not given her the A star. She had that ability. But without that hypnotherapy, she wasn't able to achieve that fantastic potential she'd got in herself. So that's great, Um, both for her self-esteem and obviously then what that will lead on to in her life, in her career. Yeah. Again, a lot with anxiety, really. Another youngster who was incredibly anxious, physically sat shaking, looking at the floor. Another girl who then had some hypnotherapy that we did in school um, and then went on to join the Territorial Army, which is not what you'd expect an incredibly (laughs) anxious teenager to do. And she cited in her interview, apparently I've been told, that she stated hypnotherapy as the reason that she was able to do that and was incredibly grateful to it. And, and that's just heartwarming. Again, it's yeah. releasing the potential that people have already got in themselves. And to be the person that can help open that door, I just think such an honor and a privilege to be able to do. Yeah, um, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and probably one other, you know, the whole kind of medical debate and, and tablets where that comes into it. And we were talking before about the power of your mind overcoming physical things like pain when you're running. Um I had a girl who was taking about £25 worth of painkillers a week for various medical conditions, quite a young 11-year-old girl. Um, And through the hypnotherapy, working with the GP ethically and making sure all that was safe, she dropped that medication, she halved it to around £12 of pain medication a week. And obviously the benefits to her body with taking less of that medication was just phenomenal. Um, So being able to help on on a physical level as well is brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I mean, I I, I just love hearing that stuff. Um, And and you're quite right. I think um, um, with regards to the girl... That, that, that was able to to, to sit her exams and, and go on and get her A stars. The ramifications for for the rest of her life are, are profound as a result. Um, mm. um, and, you know, it's really wonderful to hear. Um, Caroline, if you could go back to when you started out 
then as, as a hypnotherapist, um, a hypnosis professional, and knowing, knowing the stuff you do that you know now, um, is there anything you'd do differently? And if so, if so, what? And uh, is there any advice that the person you are today would give that younger you um, that, that you'd consider sharing uh, with our listeners? Um, probably do the simplest things first. Um, the one thing that's always surprised me with hypnotherapy is how some of the simplest strategies will work. Um, yeah. And again, a personal view, I know other people will, will perceive it differently, but I'm very much not for digging around if I don't need to. No. Um, and actually, I generally find that the simplest things, 90, 95% of the time, will make a difference even when I'm not sure they will. So I guess that goes on to the second point of expect the unexpected, really. Yeah. Um, I'll do a simple technique thinking, well, we'll try it. We've got nothing to lose. And actually it works. And I don't need the, the complicated, analytical, time-consuming sort of stuff. The simple stuff very often works. Yeah. Um, and I guess the other thing is what I, I referred to earlier about being open to all viewpoints again if somebody wanted to have a conversation about actually I think going back and working kind of bottom up going back to childhood and um, going through all that first is the best way I'd be more than happy to listen to that and I think taking on anybody's advice if anyone's offering you that advice listen to it doesn't mean you have to accept their viewpoint but listen to it and consider it to make your mind up because there's something to learn from everyone, whether they're trained, whether they're in a different field, different perspective, whether they have no knowledge. Like I say, my clients can offer the most fascinating insights. They've got the best insights on themselves, as we know, but actually some of their words of wisdom are great that I can use for other clients. Yeah. Um, some of the most inspiring people I've seen are those that sit in my, my clinic chair in my room yeah. uh, and I learn loads from them and I think that's such an honour in a job to learn from the clients. I help them but actually I learn loads from them back as well. Yeah. Um, such a privileged job I think to have to be quite honest. I love it. It really is. It really is. You know, um, I'm, I, I thoroughly enjoy hearing this idea of, um, of, of, of you know, attempting to as, as much as possible and as much as appropriate keeping keeping things simple I think you know very often we're looking for uh, I'm a lot of people that I encounter and hypnotherapists that I encounter are looking for something more sophisticated more complex and sometimes mm. run the risk of overlooking good solid things sometimes even snootily overlooking things that are good solid um, simple strategies that can be just as effective and important um, absolutely um so so uh, i'm sort of guessing and, and having and making a wide number of assumptions in my mind before i ask you this question based upon the stuff we're going to be speaking later about hypnotherapy in schools but tell me do, do you have any thoughts and if so what are they about evidence-based approaches to hypnotherapy and do they do they influence what you do and how you do things uh, I would love everything to be evidence-based and where I can, I will always gather evidence. It's difficult. I think in any therapeutic sort of setting, it's really challenging to do that. Mm. Um, but I will always try. And that was one of the main sort of um, agendas with the hypnotherapy in school stuff because as we'll talk about it, needing to show it works actually. Yes. Um, hypnotherapy is wrongly my perception but it is a controversial therapy there are people that feel very strongly anti it yeah. have lots of misconceptions and i think that's a great shame but it is what it is at the moment and 
part of my agenda is overcoming that yeah and do that it's having the evidence and the sort of qualitative I can never say that word qualitative stuff you know the case studies and everything is great but like me sitting in the audience I will always question is that the exception to the rule or is that person actually just trying to please and have they really made those changes or are they just acting it so having some of the numerical stuff or the more research neurology based evidence I think is really useful the more we can get the better if only to prove what as hypnotherapists we already know that this is a great approach. Um, it's not the approach; it doesn't work for everybody, but it's certainly a really good tool that should be in that big toolbox that's offered, kind of globally, yeah. really. Yeah, right. um, so the more that we can have that evidence, definitely, I tend to go a lot down the scaling route from the solution-focused approaches yeah. as, as my evidence base. Again, it's not very stand- – well, it's not standardized. It's very subjective. But then therapy is subjective in some senses. It's very hard to find anything objective as well yep. um, without having the ability to do the brain scans and everything, which sadly we can't have in the clinic setting, no. can we? But No, they're um, flipping expensive. i'd love to play around with them i tell you now but i think the more people that are doing that that the rest of us can benefit from is great the people that have got that um those resources those contacts you know any research like that any of these articles that come out i'm I'm sort of thirsty for those because i can use those to to push hypnotherapy not just personally but push the agenda of hypnotherapy out there of which we all then benefit clients and therapists alike absolutely absolutely you, you know um um uh, regular listeners are very aware of my particular stance on this and i think that not just for the sake of our own you know actually understanding what it is we do you know because i think a lot of people a lot of people that, that I ask about evidence-based approaches rather glibly sometimes will will respond that it's you know that, that, that it's academic and not necessarily pertinent to the therapy rooms. But on the contrary, I think that you know under creating our own understanding will make us better. You know, knowing the mechanisms for which it works, but also it, it opens doors um, such as those that that, that that you've been opening and exploring with your hypnotherapy in schools type of stuff. Um, now, Caroline, we've got, we're we're going to go into that in some depth in a short while and um, for now where can people go to learn more about your work your approach to hypnosis and what you do and so on um well the hypnotherapy in schools website has has got contacts for me um yeah. so that's www.hypnotherapyinschools.co.uk um so there's contact details for me um on there um yeah. it's generally through that i do run a private practice i don't know whether you want that website yeah, go but- for it um, that's uh, www.suttoncoldfieldhypnotherapy.co.uk. I don't go for short websites, as you can tell. <laughs> Suttoncoldfieldhypnotherapy.co.uk. Yeah. Um, and there will be links to to both of um, both of those websites at this particular episode. Um, um, this particular episode's page, and um, I know that you're on uh, you're on Facebook and um, uh, on Twitter as well with the hypnotherapy in schools because I I follow what you do on those pages, and um, I think you can find links to those on the hypnotherapy in schools website. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, all the links are on there. There's phone numbers, there's email. If anybody wants to get in touch, um, that would be great. 
Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, so um, I'm, I'm Caroline. Thank you for that. Thank you. I feel like we're getting to know know some more about you. Um, um, we will be back with Caroline, and we're going to talk all things hypnotherapy in schools in just a few minutes' time. I really enjoyed that. More from Caroline later. Now, on to this week's hypnosis in the news then. I have two stories that I wish to discuss this week. Uh, the first one is entitled, Hypnosis is the only thing that's helped me lose weight. What an encouraging title. And this article is written by Emily Farris, and it features in the New York magazine, a glossy magazine. Um, once you've scrolled past a cliched, swirly imagery, you read that our writer has tried a load of different things to reduce weight, as she explains, and she talks about her yo-yo dieting and, um, and weight fluctuation, and also describes a very difficult relationship with food. Um, she was a self-confessed food addict and attended Overeaters Anonymous, and so on. Deciding uh, latterly that she needed help with her mind, she read up on hypnosis and found a hypnotist near her. Um, and this was a hypnotist with a PhD in psychology. Wowzers! So um, her website, um, that this, this particular hypnotist website, suggested that 25 to 30 pounds could be shed by having six sessions over eight to 10 weeks. Um, um, now, that the author, the writer of the article and her experience describes how they discussed nutrition and metabolism and uh, that in the weight loss world, apparently there are three categories of body types, uh, endomorph, ectomorph and mesomorph. Um, now, the hypnotist had a psychology PhD, so she may well have had other qualifications. But are those topics with regards to nutrition, metabolism and body type, are they really the professional sphere of competence of a hypnotherapist? And I don't really think so. And I'd not necessarily want the public to think that hypnosis professionals can actually advise on those subjects let alone even turning up expecting them to do so as a result of such an article. Anyway, together they decided that along with portion control and not eating out of boredom, um, her hypnotherapy would centre around eating the right foods for her body, which was, um, it was suggested, a high-protein, low-carb diet. Um, again, this kind of advice, that's more the advice of a nutritionist, a dietitian, or someone qualified to give that kind of advice. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm digressing, but it, it doesn't give the right professional picture of a hypnotherapist in my book. And certainly, you know, national occupational standards here in the UK requires people to work and hypnotherapists to work strictly within their professional sphere of competence. OK, so then she starts to describe the hypnosis experience and she's quoted as saying before putting me under don't get me started on that. She explained that hypnosis is about accessing subconscious parts of the brain while the conscious mind rests. Um, man, really? I mean, firstly, putting me under. You know, it's a pejorative term. I've spoken about this before. It suggests that hypnosis is a thing rather than a process. You know, hypnosis is not a blancmange, okay? It's a process. We don't go into it on top of it or under it. We actively do it. Okay, I'm only getting started here. What I'm, I'm warning you. You, you see, if this hypnotherapist did have a PhD in psychology and was familiar with a kind of critical thinking and academic understanding of evidence bases you'd expect from someone beholden of a PhD, then surely she'd recognise that there's no evidence whatsoever supporting this model of there being a conscious and, um, and subconscious mind, you know, distinct from one another. But even if there was 
they are nothing to do with hypnosis because hypnosis is not a tool for accessing the mythological subconscious mind. Hypnosis is an activity you engage in based upon very ordinary psychological um, um, traits. Actively adopting a hypnotic mindset to amplify thoughts, to magnify the effects of suggestion and so on. Heck, you guys all know this, right? If you don't, um, then you probably need to ask some pretty fundamental questions about your hypnotherapy training. Um, and, and I'm guessing they probably won't thank me for, for suggesting as much. Now, the deepening process that, 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 that she encountered and experienced sounded quite nice, very relaxing. And then she goes on to write, I have vague recollections of her talking about compartments of my brain. You see, here's the other thing. This idea that gets strongly banded around in media representations of hypnosis is that people barely remember anything during their hypnosis experiences or after their experiences. I simply do not understand why anyone would think that was a good thing. Hypnosis should be something we are absolutely aware of, um, focused upon and attentive to. We ought to be an active agent in the process. You know, it's collaborative, something that's done together, especially if you follow the more evidence-based models of hypnosis hypnosis. Anyhow, she goes on to say, after waking me, I'm not even going to go down that, you know, don't get me started on this idea of waking. Apparently, I appeared more relaxed than any of her patients had ever been in a first session. <laughs> nice one, hypnotherapist, tell her that. Still, she warned me, I likely wasn't fully hypnotized yet. It could take a few more sessions. Now, I just don't understand this. I'm all for realism, but surely we aim to install positive expectation regarding the hypnosis. Especially, you know, if you're using hypnotic phenomena and convincers, you should be able to prove without a shadow of a doubt that the individual is hypnotized and responding to suggestion. She goes on to say that um, a month and three appointments later, she was 10 pounds down in her weight and felt good about her progress. Now, this is good stuff. She does say that, you know, she doesn't know if continuing the sessions is actually doing her any good. And she's, you know, questioning whether it was actually the, the hypnosis or maybe it was uh, her knowledge about her body type that actually helped her make the progress. But after 10 weeks and five sessions, she reduced her weight by 21 pounds. And that's a good success story as far as I'm concerned. Um, she's got 30 to go. Um, 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 but then she's sticking to her eating plan. Um, um, now, she says at the end, um, I mean, these are the sentences that make the most sense in this entire article as far as I'm concerned. I have a cheat here and there, but it's almost always a conscious decision and it doesn't derail my entire diet. In fact, it doesn't even derail my day. I'm able to get right back on track, something I'd never been able to do before. You know, that is success and that makes sense. Anyhow, the next article that I wanted to speak about is um, entitled Pregnant Mum Given Month-Long Orgasm After Hypnotherapy to Stop Labour Pains. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, part of me just wanted to say that headline on this podcast. The story, as you'd expect with this kind of headline, um, featured in the Daily Star tabloid newspaper here in the UK. And this is about uh, midwife Emily Street, who experienced the euphoric sensation after each of her the births of her four children. And she uses hypnotherapy and breathing exercises to calm herself during labour and claims um, that, that, that that's what makes it pleasant. 
pleasurable for her. And she says, from my point of view, I'm happy with it. People think that hypnobirthing is this airy-fairy, hippie, new age thing, but really it's not. It's a real back-to-basics principle. There's not a midwife or doctor in the land who'd argue that a relaxed woman isn't going to find labour more easy. I absolutely loved every minute of being in labour. I don't want any more children, but I would love to have that sensation again. I'm gutted I won't ever experience it because I think it's absolutely amazing. Spot on, Emily. Well said. Quite right. Um, um, you know, I, I really enjoyed reading that. Now, I'm, I'm, upon reading that, though, you know, I, I then scoured this entire article. And again, true to form with the Daily Star, there's no mention or reference anywhere to a month long orgasm. Um, I mean, it's just not there. They just used it as a sensationalist headline is what I'm guessing. Anyway, Emily, the um, the star of this article, researched natal hypnotherapy a while ago. She enrolled on a three-part course which included hypnobirthing, which taught her to control the pain through breathing techniques. And she said the entire idea behind hypnobirthing is distraction in order to keep you calm and to conserve your energy, first of all. Um, so when her labour started, um, she went downstairs, put on a chick flick movie starring Jennifer Aniston. Very nice. Um, she then said that um, she woke her husband up, packed the car, had a snack. They went to hospital around 7 a.m. They got to the water birthing room. The hypnobirthing then became all about her working with her own body, relaxing. Um, 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 that is that uh, she said that she takes she took nice, long, slow breaths with the lights down and she had some music playing and um she she asked for the talking to be kept to a minimum so that she could really focus. And she even states that she didn't want someone shouting push, push at her. Um, she said it felt new, um, but it was never overwhelming or unmanageable. And her baby arrived an hour later at 8am. She had a fabulous birth. There was no pain relief. Wonderful. Awesome stuff. Thank you, Emily, for sharing that. The links to both of these media stories are listed under this week's podcast entry on www.hypnosis-weekly.com. Next up, we have this week's professional discussion then. I welcome back Caroline Dyson. I think Caroline sounds very humble and down to earth in the interview that I did with her earlier. Yet when you start to hear what she is doing and the waves she is creating in the world with her Hypnotherapy in Schools program, I think you'll consider her something more akin to a hypnotherapy superstar. Just make sure you pay attention to this. Hypnotherapy in Schools, that's what we discuss here here is this week's professional discussion with Caroline Dyson. Enjoy. So I'm back now with Caroline Dyson. And um, one of the things that um, both when I, when I met Caroline and, and previous to, to meeting her, um, um, about seeing a presentation she was going to be giving at the UK Hypnosis Convention and, and a lot of my friends and colleagues going to, to, to her presentation, her lecture, um, um, and, and, and were so enthusiastic about it. Um, um, I really wanted to, 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 to have her on the show um, and to, to, to talk a little bit about it and, and, and so on. Um, um, Caroline, welcome back. First of all, um, can you just tell us, just give us a brief overview with regards to what what actually is hypnotherapy in schools first of all that the the, the program that you that you have together um okay it's an intervention that that happens in any educational setting um that's using clinical hypnotherapy to support pupils 
and now that's kind of uh, extended to staff and we're looking at parents but supporting people in schools with issues that in some way or other are negatively affecting their mental health their well-being and obviously as a result of that it's going to be directly affecting in pupils cases their ability to learn but in staff their ability to teach and do their job effectively which then has that knock-on effect on pupils so the focus is pupils but actually um, by helping staff and sometimes parents as well, though that's sort of early days with that, with the focus is still around pupils, but helping them from lots of different angles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, great. So, so, so before we explore it in, in, in any more depth, tell me a little bit, tell me about the story of it. You know, how did it come to be? How did it get to the place where you're at now with regards to it? Okay, um, I was teaching um, where I am sort of for Coventry Local Authority. So my role with them is going into different schools, supporting pupils directly in individual groups, whole class sessions, working with the staff, all with a focus around helping those children who are struggling for some kind of emotional, social, mental health or well-being reason, struggling to access their learning. Um, So I was doing that. So I was doing anger management groups, self-esteem groups, all those kinds of things while simultaneously doing a private clinical hypnotherapy business at home and started to realize I was getting children for my private hypnotherapy work and actually these were the same kinds of issues I was seeing at work um, so I it just naturally looked like these two could really really easily and, and naturally join together yeah. um, so I approached the authority about doing hypnotherapy um, they were a really open authority to it, but they had some reservations about the term hypnotherapy. Of course. Um, me being the stubborn, strong-willed person I am, refused mm-hmm. to give in on on taking the word hypnotherapy out, which there was Good a conversation around, we'll call it relaxation, we'll call it this, that and the other. Not the authority trying to misguide anyone, but trying to actually... Um, get round those difficulties but my argument was actually one I'm I'm lying to parents then I'm not telling them what I'm actually doing which I think is unethical yeah. um, but also when I get the good results which I, I knew I would get hypnotherapy doesn't get the pat on the back for it that it deserves mm. um, so I stuck to my guns with that and, and credit to the authority they did come round and say okay we'll do it as a pilot project um So we did a a research project that was meant to be very rigorous and I wanted to write up as a a proper piece of research. Um, Things being what they are with schools being very busy, it didn't end up being rigorous enough. So the idea was you had a control group of year 11 students with exam anxiety Mm -hmm. and we did a control group where they had no input. Another group where they had just physical relaxation and another group where they had hypnotherapy. For blocks of six weeks, so a session a week for six weeks, and then we did a pre and post measure to see whether their performance had changed. So we devised a task where anxiety would reduce their performance, but it wasn't measuring intelligence or memory or any academic skill. It was purely performance. The results did show what we expected, so the control group made no difference. The relaxation group did make a really nice difference, which was really good. And actually, the hypnotherapy came out, you know, on top by quite a way. Um, It wasn't rigorous enough to do as research, but it was enough that the school looked at it and said, you know, we really like this. And they bought it in on a weekly basis for the last five years as a result of that. 
And as a result of that, the authority said, okay, this is there's something in this. We'll roll it out across the authority. Um, and, it, and we've not looked back since, really. That was 2011. And now I have a waiting list and schools in Coventry are talking about hypnotherapy, very mainstream. Um, it's just another tool in the authority and, and it's just gone from strength to strength, really. I mean, I just, um, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I just want to pause for breath for a moment here because, <laughs> you, and you, me, you know, you know, my, my you know, my, my grin just got wider and wider and wider <laughs> with each with each sentence that you were speaking there because you know here you are you know being very humble um with your discussions and with regards to what you do but you know you you went into you know you approached schools you you really stuck to your guns with regards to the hypnotherapy thing you conducted some research and 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 it demonstrated and and now an entire education authority you know has built a waiting list um um and and etc etc you know woohoo uh that's that, that's about as jubilant as i'm ever prepared to get on this particular show um um but you know just just wonderful you know absolute music to my ears and i'm hoping that everybody listening i'm hoping that you have a big smiles on your face too because you know this is this is this is something something beautiful as far as i'm concerned um and so it's going from strength to strength and um and and you're in a position now whereby um you're looking and taking on and teaching people how to do how to do the same yeah so it's out in coventry so coventry have it at an authority level and, and cascade that down so schools buy into it from an authority perspective yeah. um at the same time as that then i've taken it out um through the hypnotherapy in schools program taking it out into lots of different authorities. So I've gone out into quite a few Midlands authorities. Um, I think I've gone into about six different Midlands authorities. And then speaking at conferences up and down the country, I was getting requests sort of in London, down in Kent, where obviously I can't deliver the work. So I've then started a program where I can train other practitioners. So fully trained clinical hypnotherapists who have experience of working with children. They're sort of part of the requisites for the course. Yeah. Come on and learn the processes and how to work in schools because it is different from private practice. Um, with the idea that actually uh, my, my big aim for this is to get this around the country. So we've got practitioners trained in England, Ireland, Scotland and Wales um, there's been interest from Spain, Dubai, New Zealand, South Africa, America. They're all inquiries coming in. So the word is getting out there. Yeah. Um, my two sort of aims for it really were to make it accessible to all. Um, so in private practice, the children I get generally come from financially comfortable families who've got parents who are generally quite well educated enough to look into what approaches exist for children so it's it's a kind of niche market really so the the underprivileged children who might be from abusive backgrounds or children in care those sorts of groups were not getting a look in from the private work mm -hmm. um so by taking it into schools actually it's accessible to any child who attends that school who it's appropriate for um and that's a big driving factor that this doesn't become an elitist therapy yeah um and to make it more mainstream so the idea for me is to make hypnotherapy 
as mainstream as counselling. So it's another tool that a child can use, like yeah. play therapy, art, drama. It's just in the same bracket. It's it's not the tool. It's not the best. It's another good tool that's out there. And yeah. they're the two kind of factors behind it, really. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, um, could, could you give us a little bit of idea um, um, as to, to, to perhaps one of the components or a couple of the components about what, what, what is actually included um, and what it actually is that, that, that you do when you're, when you're there at ground level? Um, well, we go, it's generally done on a six-week format, so it's weekly sessions that go in. Yeah. Um, they're delivered in school unless it's a child, say, who's school phobic where there's flexibility to go and deliver sessions at home first. Sure. So, so um, it's one-to-one sessions primarily? It can be one-to-one. Uh, it can be small groups. Groups, So yeah. I've done group work with exam anxiety, and I'm developing that more. Schools' budgets are massively shrinking. Yeah. Everything is around cost-effectiveness, understandably. So trying to do more group work. So I'm developing um, programs for groups of children who have all got anxiety issues or concentration issues or low self-esteem. So like-minded issues within a group – so the groups work in no more than four. I found that to be an optimum number for group yeah. work. Um, and the same for staff. I do staff groups of groups of five. Yeah. Um, so it can be individual, can be group. Um, I've also taken some of the elements out of hypnotherapy, some of the breathing techniques, some of the sort of psychological techniques we use that are a side of hypnosis and done that at a whole class level. Right. So working with year six groups, teaching them breathing techniques and visualizations to help them with the SATs coming up. Yeah. Um, so there's, it can work at lots of different levels, really. And so, um, and, and this is every age group um, 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 that, that, that exists at school from sort of year one upwards pretty much yeah i haven't worked with reception um because it's obviously a language-based approach it gets very difficult to try and different differentiate the language down to a kind of four or five year old so yeah. my limits tend to be they that the child needs to have an understanding of language so receptive language ability of about five six year olds upwards yeah so i haven't seen any reception age children so it tends to be end of year one and beyond yeah. that I will generally work with. Yeah, that makes um, a lot of sense. Um, you know, my, my, my eldest is in reception currently, and um, um, I, I just had these these images in my mind of attempting to, to, <laughs> to, to talk hypnosis with them. Um, no, um, which and you just, do yeah. it in a different way, but... Um, of course. I'm sure there are people out there that could use some of those skills with yeah. really little children, but... I, I've struggled. I, I work from end of year one upwards, really. And yeah. part of the assessment session, it looks to see if they have that that cognition, the concentration levels enough yeah. um, and the, the um, ability to kind of it, to some level know that they want to make a change. They've got yeah. to be on board with it. Same as yeah. any therapy. We can't make them do anything they don't want to do. Of course. Of course, uh, and, and so being able to access their imagination, have a have, and even having a developed sense of self, I suppose, are all things. Being able to, you know, potentially even you know understand what's what, what's meant by some of the concepts, um, I'm, 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 I suppose, is, is 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 part of your challenge. Yeah, and that that's all covered in the assessment session. Though it's it's interesting when you look at hypnotherapy involving lots of visualization and imagination. I wondered whether it would work with children on the autistic spectrum. Right. Um, and actually, one of the schools I go in, they're all quite severe ASD children, yeah. and actually, it still works with them. 
Um, There's definitely a research potential with that group of children because I don't, you know, we were talking about understanding what we do as practitioners. I don't fully get how hypnotherapy works with a child who's quite severely on the autistic spectrum, but it does. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You focus on their special interest to gain rapport, first of all, but beyond that i i still don't fully get how what i'm doing works but it does so i'll keep doing it but i'd love to understand the mechanics of how i get through to those children mm. when they struggle so much to see things outside their perspective right yeah um but it's interesting that it does yeah that i mean you know again again big smiles from me um you know on on my list of preparatory notes um, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was about how it has been received. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm guessing that it would not have been able to have expanded in, in the way in which it which it has had it not been received well. However, ha- has there been, you know, obviously you mentioned that at the start, calling it hypnotherapy in schools was, was potentially a challenge and you stuck to your guns there. Have you found that there's been some some adverse reaction, you know, before you've done anything with regards to either parents or teachers um, um, when you've been going into to new places and so on with regards to the kind of misconception that exists out there with regards to hip- hypnosis and hypnotherapy? Yeah, that's been a really interesting angle of it, really. Um Schools, I think, credit to schools and education staff, they've been really open to it. Um, There are always some people that have their perceptions and that's absolutely fine. I don't have a problem with that. But on the whole, schools have been really open. I think there are so many changes in education. Schools have learned to just embrace anything. And the, the will and the desire in teachers to just help children means they'll take anything that might make a difference and, and they're open to it. So schools are generally really positive about that, it. You know, that is wonderful to hear. It's so wonderful to hear because I think, you know, very often people talk about establishments like learning establishments, like medical establishments as, as traditionally and typically being quite, quite defensive with regards to, to what we do. Um, so, you know, that in and of itself is really, really interesting to hear. I, 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 excuse me, interrupting. That's all right. It is generally like that. Um, You know, there are misconceptions. And part of what I do is an information session where I go through all those misconceptions. Um, It tends to be the staff are okay with it. Sometimes parents have been resistant. And again, what tends to happen if I meet them, I have an information sheet with all the misconceptions on and all the this is what it is. This is what it is. Um, Normally, by the time I've met somebody, either a school person in school or a parent I can normally actually they can see that I'm not some weird freak hopefully um and and they get that actually this is just another type of therapy um there are some misconceptions that still aren't helpful um I lost a big contract with the school because back in the room came on the tv yeah um so I had the contract and that program came out the following week and the school pulled the plug on it mm-hmm. and they were very apologetic but they said they just couldn't take the risk that parents would see that, think that's what was going on and it would cause you know chaos and it wasn't really the school staff that were anti, it was actually a fear of what the parents would say. Um, which is a shame, you know, some may argue schools should have stuck to their guns. But yeah. I can see it from both sides as well. Yeah. Um, 
So on the whole, it's been positive, but there is still considerable work to do um, overcoming those misconceptions. The pupils are are the ones that have the least, to be quite honest. Um, It's enlightening talking to them. They either haven't heard of hypnotherapy or they think it's really cool and they're really up for it. Much more than something like counselling that some of the, certainly the older lads are like, well, I don't want to talk about my feelings. But actually, hypnotherapy's got quite a cool image and I'll come along for that. And so, again, that slightly controversial image, I try and play to that to an advantage where I can. And the fact it's something different really engages some of those hard to manage children. And if you can get schools to see it like that and parents... Generally, you can get on board, but I I won't lie. It does take some some hard work sometimes, to be honest. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I can imagine that. I um, you know, one of the things that's really interesting that whenever I'm working with with children or younger generation, I without wanting to sound like uncool, un- uncool random uncle at the wedding or something, <laughs> um, um, you know, I, I talk about the self hypnosis skills they're going to be using as being mm-hmm. quite cool you know um, um on top of everything else by coming here and working you're going to learn learn some really cool skills that you're going to better use all the time and um, um, um I, I hear you on that um, um it's great to hear so caroline people hypnotherapists that are listening <clears throat> that are potentially interested in learning more and so on is is the website hypnotherapyinschools.co.uk is that the best place for them to go Yes, it is. So there's details of all the training courses, um, what they involve, the requirements. If there's something that's not on there, then just drop me an email and I'll send you through all that information. Brilliant. Brilliant. And and like I said earlier, um, um, uh, earlier in today's show, um, um, Hypnotherapy in Schools is on Twitter and Facebook as well as the main website. Um, um, some really good, some really good, interesting stuff on the output there. Um, um, Caroline, all that leaves, uh, all that's left for me to say really is, is, is to thank you and um, and to wish you, you know, even more ongoing and continued success with this project. You know, you're a, you're a beacon of light and goodness out there um, as far as I'm concerned. Um, thank you ever <laughs> thank so you. much for coming on to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's been brilliant. I really enjoyed that. Um, Good luck with continuing all of that wonderful work you are doing with the hypnotherapy in schools, Caroline. Um, I thought it was interesting that Caroline mentioned and referred to the TV show You're Back in the Room, um, which was recently axed, I hasten to add, um, because I I wrote an article about that show, which I also shared here on the podcast when the TV show first aired. And many people told me, many fellow hypnosis professionals told me that I needed to embrace the publicity that it was giving us, even if it was poor um, and ill-informed publicity. Yet here was Caroline demonstrating very real negative impact of such coverage. Um, I'll put a link to that article of mine on this episode's page at the Hypnosis Weekly website too. So this week, um, evidence-based hypnosis factoid of the week is this. Self-hypnosis training can create greater downward change in diastolic blood pressure than control groups. 
Um, yes, indeed. Self-hypnosis training can reduce hypertension um, um, in, in, in short version. Um, this is uh, referring to a study entitled um, um, Study of the Effect of Self-Hypnosis on the Medical Management of Essential Hypertension, a 1999 study by Raskin and colleagues in the Health and Stress Journal, um, whereby medical patients that had been diagnosed as hypertensive, whose blood pressures were normalized while they were hospitalized, were often found to require upward titration of medication upon follow-up as eight outpatients. Um, Self-hypnosis was taught to one group of the hospitalised patients. A second group received equal attention and time to relax without the specified self-hypnosis procedure. And a third group was monitored with no intervention. On follow-up, the hypnosis group showed greater downward change in diastolic blood pressure than the monitored group, with the attention-only group in between. Additionally, no subjects in the hypnosis group required upward titration of medications. Wonderful news. The results suggest that there's real value of adding self-hypnosis to standard medical treatment for hypertension. Um, full study details can be found over at this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. So that is it for this week's 59th edition. I do have many more exciting guests that are welcome to Hypnosis Weekly in coming weeks too. We'll be discussing, debating, celebrating and above all remaining friends. And to repeat, all the references made in the discussions along with related links are posted at each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. My guest next time out is hypnotherapist, author and fellow bow tie wearer Dr. Frederick Mao. I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions so do please message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website. I'll make sure they are addressed, answered and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, anywhere else. Really help us reach the hypnosis field. Thanks again to Caroline Dyson. Thanks to you for tuning in. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now. (music) 